All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Digital Recruiter Podcast. We are joined today by Pam Danheim. She is a trainer at Catapult Solutions Group. She was a fast riser, was a recruiter, then account manager, and then saw the need for really a training program to really help the whole team and organization. Um, we've been you know, having a lot of conversations this year on training, the importance of it, best practices. She's got a ton of knowledge and a great perspective on all this. I'm excited to have her here today and join us. So Pam, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Clark. I know it's kind of crazy. We've been going back and forth for almost a year now. So yeah. super excited. No, it, it's it's been great. And and I think it's we've gone kind of learn, right? The different approaches, how they kind of mesh. I mean, it's such a it, there's so much, right? The process like that, I think the winning formula is simple, but it gets so complicated so quickly in this world, right? Different agencies have different, you know, ways they do things. And even within the agency, producers and recruiters, right? We were talking about this before. Everyone even has their own little style, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're in the pit, which we'll talk about. Uh, so I, I think that's where it's been cool to kind of exchange notes a little bit and kind of see your journey, how much you prioritize training, which I'm excited to get into. Um, but let's just start with this. How'd you get into recruiting? Yeah, um, I started working when I was 14, I think. I had several jobs over the course of, you know, graduating college, uh, worked as a bartender, a server in a couple different restaurants. And I was actually supposed to work at a different recruiting firm when I got my offer from Catapult. Uh, it was 2020, so during COVID and the peak of everything. And that other recruiting firm decided they were freezing, they were not hiring. And so I came and interviewed at Catapult and during the pandemic, instead of laying people off, they were actually adding people to their team, which I just thought was so cool. Uh, I started in November of 2020. I struggled really hard for the first few months, just being brand new to recruitment, brand new to tech. I had no clue what I was doing. And uh, throughout that first year, I kind of just dove in on learning as much as I could uh, kind of following the people around me who I thought were doing really good and started uh, recruitment there. In my second year, I was voted the top recruiter for our Dallas office and rookie of the year for the whole company. I was able to hit President's Club uh, during my third year, and that was when I took the dive into account management, a little bit of business development, which was really cool. I got to learn all sides of our business. Um, so yeah. Nice. Nice. It's, uh, you, you talk about kind of the challenges in the beginning. Um, but what I kind of picked up on is that like, you just, like, who's doing well and like kind of being kind of very coachable. Right. I, I mean, you mentioned the first few months were challenging, right. Not knowing what you don't know, right. Learning about tech, like what were some of the things that you did, I guess, kind of specifically to, kind of get over that hurdle, right? And then when did it start to kind of to click? I started by copying the people that were doing really good. Yep. I would hear what they said on the phone. I would see what they wrote in their emails or their messaging. Um, I would hear how they handled different situations. And I started copying them basically verbatim. Um, and then I would say about six months in, I was able to start kind of making it my own, you know, yeah. uh, taking those things that I learned from them, but putting my own spin on it, making myself more comfortable in these different situations. And yeah, just copy and paste, basically. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's a great, it really is a great strategy, right? Why reinvent the wheel when you know someone's kind of already paved the road and, and everything else? Like just listen in and whether it's the questions, right? Out of format, a a G2, or that's what we call a Metrotech, or a phone screen, right? You, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And then over time, with enough reps, you start to kind of get more comfortable and you learn different jobs and you kind of have more conversations. And then you kind of know how to craft your own, right? Versus just kind of going kind of rogue a little bit and kind of doing whatever, um, right? Like, yeah, do what works, right? And then you kind of learn what kind of how to make it your own. So it's a great, great strategy. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So the so the six month mark hits, you start to kind of really get it. I mean, was there like 
kind of one thing? I mean, is, was it just kind of volume and talking to enough people in terms of a numbers thing? Was it something in terms of like how you with the job orders and like being able to kind of match them up better? Like what was kind of like the thing that really like, I would say like clicked, right? That got you from kind of struggling to eventually then hitting the presence club as a recruiter. I would say it was my level of confidence a hundred percent. When I got my very first, you know, big tech placement, it was a, a big spread. And I remember feeling like, Oh, I, I think I know what I'm doing now. Yeah. Uh, and so then I just kept doing that same thing over and over again. Yeah. And when I did hit roadblocks or I hit struggles, uh, you know, I'm very blessed to have an amazing team that I could always lean on and go to and kind of work my problems out with them. Um, but I would say it was really just that confidence of yeah. I can do this now, just do it faster, do it better, do it more. Yep. And you can only get that if you do the reps, right? I think there's nothing that can shortcut just picking up the phone sending messages just trying every single day even if it's just like man when is this placement gonna hit or especially in tech right when it's a longer sales cycle you know i started in skill trade warehousing so i, I had three starts my first week and they might have worked like a three-day project but at least it was something right yeah. and it, but you get those like quick wins but i remember those tech recruiters like just that long it's just a grind in the beginning and then it clicks, right? It's kind of staying up, but like that, getting those reps is huge, right? To, to, to getting it, you know, getting there. Yeah, and I think learning to juggle all the different parts of the recruitment process. You know, once you get the placement, your first placement, you're learning to manage that book of business, keep your contractors on the books happy, sure. um, while managing your current open recs, while managing. Uh, you know, the people you have in process, making sure they don't fall off, making sure somebody, a better opportunity doesn't come up. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where after that six month mark, I started really honing in on um, getting better at each part of the process, not just the sourcing or the phone call, but the negotiations, um, the, you know, consultative, consultative part of, you know, recruitment. Yeah. And it takes those, oh, it didn't work out or oh, so close to kind of get those, right? It's like, yeah, it's like a rite of passage in a sense. You almost kind of learn from the pain of it not working in the beginning because right, we're kind of so naive when we first start in recruiting. And I mean, at least I was just like, yeah, well, this is so simple. Like, of course it's going to work out. And then you realize someone no-shows or they disappear after two weeks or, you know, they're trying to work, especially down the remote era. They're trying to keep their one job and start another so they can double dip on their income, like all these crazy stories, right? And it's just like, how is this happening, right? And you kind of learn, right? You kind of have to get rid of that, like, piece of being naive. Like, okay, people are people, and that can come in all sorts of, that, that can reveal itself in all sorts of ways. So, like, if you have to have your process down, it can almost be non-negotiable with it to be able to do your job effectively, right? And to kind of recruit, effect, recruit effectively. Absolutely. you. I don't know if this is going to come off wrong, but you almost have to get a little bit jaded. You got to get a little bit suspicious of like, yeah. where could, where could this possibly go wrong? Where could it fall off? And what can I, what do I have in my control to make sure that it doesn't? Exactly. Um, and then just being okay with, I did everything I could do, you know, let's see what happens from here. Yeah. Put, put in the ball in their court. And it's such a great point. And you know, I think it's becoming clear why you're now on the training side. Uh, but yeah, like putting the ball in the candidate's court, the client's, you know, the client's court on the sales side, like, that's what we're, our job is as an agency, really. It's not, we're not the company. We're not the worker that's going to be working there day to day. We can just make the match. So it's really about like, well, what do you need? Like, what does the client need? What does the candidate need? You know, maybe calling out any things that aren't aligning, right? That don't add up. Right. Or don't pass the smell test. But at the end of the day, I always tell people, like, hey, this is your company or this is like your career. I'm just trying to facilitate like this isn't, you know, I'm just going to do what I do. But like this is, you know, you got to think about this. Like, you know, if the answer is going to change. Like I can help you, you know, look better in front of the client or anything else. But if you tell me one thing and I switch to another, you just you're going to make it a lot harder to get what you want. Right. And I think that's Absolutely. what. That's like, right. That's the nuance. That's like, like, it's so hard to get you assume everyone gets it in the beginning, but you just don't, or they just don't. 
And like, and see, that's like a big make it or break it. I see for recruiters. I don't know if you see the same thing of just like, do they accept that or do they don't? Right. And just do the behaviors change as a result of that? Yeah. No, I mean, that's uh, something that we're working on a lot with, you know, all of our new recruiters all the time is, okay, I know the candidate told you this. Uh, did you ask again? Did you, did you reconfirm? They said they were willing to relocate, but let's, let's have that conversation one more time. And they're like, why? They already said it. And you're like, because. Because <laughs> they'll say anything, right? They'll say anything to keep, to be considered, to be top of mind. There's no investment though on them telling the truth. And I think that's, you know, one thing of just like, have we incentivized them to actually reveal what is going on? And that's like, I don't know if you kind of have seen that, but it's like a huge part, right? I think what we see is just what, you know, have you kind of earned the right to get the truth from them, right? And make them think about it. half the time they haven't even thought about it, right? Uh, so it, it's such a fascinating dynamic. Um, yeah, I think that kind of leads into something that we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, the art of the call yeah. and learning how to build trust with somebody over a phone call or a video call, um, learning to ask those harder questions that might be uncomfortable and yeah. being okay with whatever the answer is. Absolutely. Right. Not trying to pigeonhole them in anything, but just knowing the right question to ask and you just have to learn how to embrace the answer. Right. Uh, <laughs> that, that That's huge. I, I want to dive into the art of the call, but just so listeners can catch up. You go to recruiting, you go to sales, and then you go to, to training. I think you, in sales, kind of what was it that inspired you to be like, okay, hey, I think we need to like really consider this um, kind of training aspect? So when I started at Catapult, training typically fell on the recruiting director or the managing director to do your initial two-week on-the-job training. After that, you would kind of get paired up with different um, producers, AEs, or recruiters and learn how they did things. I know that when where I was at was seeing my recruiting directors and my managing directors just, you know, they're so busy. They have so many responsibilities. They're um, coaching the team, but they're also going out and trying to get new business or new candidates. And I just thought, gosh, if we had one person who was fully dedicated to this, that anybody in the company could call up and say, hey, so-and-so needs help or, hey, I need help. Like, how powerful would that be? Yeah. Um, and so when I kind of, you know, they had already been kind of playing around with this idea, our leadership team. And when I really expressed, like, I think this is important, um, they were like, great you know, we think you're the right person for the job. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of dove in and took it head on. And it's been really great so far. I've learned so much. Uh, obviously, I was never in training before. So really took the time to um, learn about adult learning theory and, and training methodologies and things like that. That's awesome. No, I, I, I love it. It's, you know, I don't hear it all the time, right? I, I would say like, you're not Catapult's not small, small, right? But still in the right, under 50 producers kind of range and, and, and everything, um, at least definitely within, da you know, the Dallas office. It's so, it's amazing to kind of dedicate those resources because you're right, the managing directors, there's so much going on. It's easy for recruiters to get lost in the shuffle. I mean, even two weeks of onboarding is more than I hear at a lot of agencies, right? Whether it's like an hour, it's like, here you go. Right. And, and off you go. And then people wonder why recruiters struggle. Right. Or all this other stuff, because it's it, it takes time. right? It takes effort. Um, you mentioned right, with the art of the call. We've talked about the pit. Um, I guess kind of even before we get into that, like what is what's kind of one thing that you've seen just like that? I guess maybe you've learned about how the way people learn, like you have different recruiters that you're bringing in. What are some of the. Like, kind of the biggest revelations that you've learned kind of about training and people since you started? Nobody's going to remember the first time you tell them. Yeah, It's going to go in one ear and out the other. They're going to maybe remember three things out of the 20 things that you told them. And <laughs> repetition is just so important. Yep. Um, even when we do new rollouts with new functionalities of our ATS, or if LinkedIn does a new rollout with some of their functionalities, 
it's really about the repetition of, hey guys, remember you have this, this tool, you have this resource, you have this information. Um, have you utilized it yet? What did you like about it? What didn't you? And kind of going down that rabbit hole over and over again. Yeah. I love that you said that. I mean, I think the theme of Q4 for me has been consistency, consistency, consistency within the program. It's just like, you know, people will start a campaign or they'll make a post and they just stop. Right? At times I'm like, okay, keep going. Like that was a great, you know, it was a great one post, but keep going, right? Whether I got 40 likes or one like or a hundred likes, what are you posting the next day, right? Or the next week, like you just keep going because that's how you learn. And that's kind of what we're doing on the group calls, the same thing, just repetition, repetition, like covering almost the same topics week to week. Um, I get the feedback at times, like, man, that was an amazing call. I try to just keep 10% of what you guys teach on the, you know, have on the group calls because there's so much. And I think it's such an important point. What we know is different than where they're at. Uh, yeah. It's a really hard thing to learn as a coach. It's just like that. Yeah, that's saying it once. Because we have to think back to when we were learning this stuff. It wasn't just one take that took for me, right? I remember like learning automation. It took me weeks to like really get comfortable with it. And here I am teaching people to do it, you know, in a week or two, right? You have to have, exhibit that same level of patience with people. And if you bake that into your training, right? Like then like you have to bake that repetition in and those reasons for repeating different behaviors. Um, what, what are some ways that you're kind of making that happen, right? Or you kind of can make that, I would say, engaging. Yeah, we do a lot of different ways of uh, training. You know, we have a lot of different methods of training. Right. So, you know, we might start off with a conversation in the pit at our morning stand-up meeting. Like, hey, guys, this is going to be a big focus um, coming up. So start thinking about it. Do you have any questions right now? And then we'll do another kind of one-off 30-minute meeting. Okay, now we're really going to dive into this. Uh you know, really hash it out, ask any questions, we're going to practice whatever it is. And then, you know, following up is that kind of accountability piece, like continuing to talk about it. I know this year for us, a huge thing has been um, getting new leads for our sales team. And that is not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. That was definitely not something that came naturally to me, asking those questions without feeling like you're stepping on toes yeah. or, you know, trying to get that information without making it weird. And so we've been practicing, practicing, practicing. And, you know, we have a conversation about it every single week. And I'll send out resources um, for people to look over. Another big thing we do here is everybody sees every single submittal that comes through. If you're sending a submittal out to your account manager, um, it's going to the whole recruitment team. And so people will kind of go through each other's submittals and say, hey, you know, did you notice this? I think that could be a really good lead for us because X, Y, Z. And yeah, so I think the repetition and like you said, the consistency. Uh, yeah, no, that's huge. And I love the transparency, right? I think sometimes recruiters want to hide or right? kind of do their own little thing. And you got to be willing to just put it out there and with the submittal, the interview or being in the pit and how you're having those conversations. I know that like that's what sharpened my iron big time starting out in the pit at Aerotech is just that getting comfortable with being heard and being, I would say, just giving that feedback. And now I'm almost like, I don't want to say immune to it, but it's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, probably, you know, I could do that better. Or that can be done better. Like, great. Like, let's make the change. Like, that's fine. Like, you kind of remove your ego out of it, but it kind of has to get beaten down a little bit uh, to, to get there. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you start in the pit when you started or was it remote? Uh, it's a funny story. Yeah. <laughs> I started in November of 2020 and we were in the office at the time. Uh, so I started in the pit and I sat between two of our very best recruiters who are still here to this day. And I learned so much from them about two weeks in after I started, everybody started getting sick. So we all got sent home. I was a brand new recruiter. This is my first corporate job. And I remember crying on my floor one day because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is so hard. I was recruiting a .NET role, like a high level senior .NET engineer. I think one of them had yelled at me on the phone. 
And yeah, I just remember being like, I don't know if I could do this. But we got back in the office a couple of weeks after that. And that was when I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be here, I'm going to dive all in and I'm yeah. just going to give it my best. The worst thing that happens is I'm not good at it. And I try something else eventually. Yeah. That theme comes up all the time. When I talk to people on this podcast or just in general, like the choice to just go all in with it. And I think it's such a valuable lesson, right? For when you're doing anything, but especially in recruiting, people are like, oh, how hard can it be? It's like, all right, well, you try it, right? Ty- type of situation. You get to see kind of how hard, but the, the people like yourself that see succeed, they just go all in. I'm, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to figure out whatever role I'm working on. I'm going to figure out the client. I'm going to figure out the candidate pool. Like, what's going on? I'm just going to dig in and kind of figure out how to, you know, make some, organize this mess in a sense and like figure it out but you gotta go all in and that's typically when the the turn starts to happen it's like i'm gonna go all in i'm gonna get the reps yeah absolutely and one thing that my um leadership team my boss has always taught us is the best recruiters are genuinely curious that is a huge thing that's part of our interview process here at catapult are you genuinely curious about life about the world about everything because if you are that's gonna come out in your calls it's gonna come out in the way you conduct yourself and you know people just want to be heard they enjoy talking about themselves um and so if you can be genuinely curious about their career their path what they want to do in the future that's going to set you apart from 90 percent of the recruiters out there that's very well said i mean it's a great it really in recruiting it kind of has to be right, one of the main things. So I love that that's part of the interview process at Catapult because it's it's true. I mean, you because you, you, you don't know what you don't know about the candidate or the client until you dig in. And so having that as a trait, I think is it's so key. And it's amazing the opportunities that reveal themselves when you do get curious about other people. And that's always what's fascinated me. Like because I've, I definitely I, I don't know everything. I know very very little amount of things because there's so much to learn but you can learn so much from other people by just digging in and you said you could get leads from that way right and that's why i tell people like who are scared to you know, i can get more business development i'm like well talk to your candidate pool they're like what no i don't need more candidates i'm like right they're not getting that like getting curious on the candidate side and think like it could lead to leads from companies they worked at or companies are currently at um could be a lead if they get hired elsewhere and they're hiring manager they could come back to you because how you treated them like there's so many avenues by just getting curious and it's not trying to get a role or, you know, put, you know, force someone into a job that's not a fit for. It's just like, I don't know. You tell me what's going on, right. With your hiring issues or with your job seeking, you know, issues. Right. Like, and then we can maybe figure it out. Like that simple reframe is everything. Uh, yeah. So I, I Candidates love that. Today could be hiring managers tomorrow. That's, that's it. I'm sure that was part of the training this year. Right. And, <laughs> and, and lead to recruiters. I mean, it's it's huge. Right. And it's just maximizing each conversation, um, you know, and, and doing it, I think, with the tact of actually being curious about the other person. Like, that's the skill. Right. Like, yeah. that's the skill that top recruiters that I've, I've all seen have. So. Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely ties right into the art of the call. Yeah. And so, well, let's let's get back in because I, I want to dive deeper into that especially in the remote era, the COVID era, whatever you want to call it, automation, cold email, cold email automation, whatever else is popular, right? All this messaging stuff, spray and pray, in mails, right? But at the end of the day, in recruiting, it comes down to, to picking up the phone. Um, yeah, what's, how do you, I mean, how do you teach that? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, with, messaging. So when I first started, I was all about the messaging because I was scared to get on the phone. You know, I'm going to, like you said, the spray and play, like I'm going to send out as many messages and, you know, whoever responds back to me, you know, then we'll hop on the phone. Um, But emails and messagings at the end of the day, they spark interest. And the phone call is where the conversation really starts. That's where you're going to get the real information. That's where you're going to be able to kind of feel that vibe. Um, and start that relationship. And what I've seen a lot and what we really work on with a lot of our recruiters is this kind of analysis paralysis feeling of, you know, I'll have recruiters every day come to me and they'll say, 
Pam, what do you think about this resume? Do you think they could be a fit for this rec? And I'll look at them and I'm like, did you call them? Did you, did you ask that question to them? They're like, well, I'm trying to see, you know, before if, if we think it's a good fit. And I'm like, pick up the phone, just call them and then you'll find out. <laughs> yep. That's it. It's, you can't tell by the rest. I mean, when you get really good, you probably can, right? You have some, but you still got to, and that's where I see even recruiters that start to have success get in a trap. They start to think they can outsmart the resume and outsmart the call in a sense. And you, and you can't like, it's just, I think you have to treat every role and rec with that respect of just like, I got to figure this out. I got to dig and figure this out. Now it might take you one call compared to 10 calls as you get really good. Right. Or you might, do 10 calls to know that like, I, I got to make at least 10 calls to figure out what's going on here. Right? And kind yeah. of knowing when to do each is like, that's kind of some of the skill. But yeah, nothing beats picking up the phone. And I still have my manager in my ear saying the same thing. Like I got, I got the person, you know, to call him. Like, oh, no, like call him. Like, oh, okay. Like there is now I don't care. Like pretty much will call yeah. anyone. Uh, but that's, that is huge. So you make them pick up, you make them call them. Now, do they actually call, right? Or I guess, oh, yeah. what are they worried about? And I guess, why do they come to you first versus calling? Like, what do you think the, the psychology is behind that? I think it's a mindset thing. And that's actually yeah. what I was going to say before. Um, you have to have the mindset of every call is going to be valuable. Even yeah. if this candidate is not a fit right now, today for this role, I'm going to build some type of relationship with them. I'm going to send them a follow-up email. I'm going to connect with them on LinkedIn. And next time I have a role that is a fit for them, I'm going to give them a call back. and Or they're going to reach out to me next time they're on the market. It's about having the mindset of making each call valuable and making each person feel important. You know, if you yes. find out, oh, no, I don't have six years of experience with Java, you're not just hanging up the phone. Right. You're still trying to understand, okay, well, tell me about your your experience. Tell me about what you're looking for. And I'm going to put you on my list. And if I see that job for you come out, you're the first person I call. And I think that's that art of the call is seeing it as valuable and seeing it as, you know, I'm going to get something out of this every single time, whether I learn something, whether I make a new connection, whatever that might be. Absolutely. And just finding a way to be authentic about that is so important, right? With with the questions and, and not getting like, oh, okay, this person isn't the right fit. It's like, all right, well, we've got more people that you can call, but who knows, right? Maybe it's six years of Java. Maybe it's only four, but maybe it's a certain type of experience or whatever that actually could work out really well, right? And it could still be worth a conversation with the client, or maybe it opens up another role with the client. So if you do the or maybe digging, they know somebody. or maybe they know someone. So if you dig in and you treat them as such, like, hey, that's okay. Like this, I could still definitely talk to the manager and see if we can kind of try to figure it out, right? If all things, everything else starts to add up, but one thing on the job description doesn't, well, you and I know that job descriptions aren't 100% perfect and 100% accurate all the time. And that's not always through a fault of anyone. It's just, you got to put something on there. And then when you actually are met with the reality of the candidates that are presented, it's like, oh, actually, you know what? We could take that. Or we could take four years, not six years, right? So you make the client think through that. I think as a recruiter, if you know that's going to happen and you know your manager is going to do that for you, that is huge. It allows, I think, recruiters to have better conversations if they know their salesperson, account manager is going to fight for them, the candidates, if they have a great screen. Right. Yeah. I'm sure that's I, I don't know, that's part of the conversations and some kind of the training and internal communication that, that you, you're, you're having. Oh, yeah. The game plan to me personally, I don't know if everybody, you know, I kind of would agree with this. But to me, the game plan is the most important part of your recruitment process. Yeah. Um, I know we don't really do a whole lot of full desk here. We have our AEs and AMs and our recruiters that partner together. Um, but if you're not setting yourself up for success with the game plan, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who originally said it, but Taylor Swift said it most recently in one of her songs. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I think that's so important because you, if you don't have that conversation, you don't know those nuances. Sure, maybe it says six years of Java, but if they've been working with Python for four years and have recently dipped into Java, maybe that's okay. 
But if you don't take the time to have that conversation, you're doing yourself a disservice. Right. And just not like dive, you know, really digging in. Like we've kind of been the theme, just you got that time on the phone with them, like figure it out. Right. I've even told my team, like, I don't know if we've got some new information on this role, this rack. I don't know if this person's a fit. I'm like, have the conversation anyway. Like you, like there's, they're in, they're in this fear, right? Instead of things being a perfect match, you want to get people that are close enough to it to talk to. And then you can kind of figure, figure that out. But as you said, if you have the right game plan, it makes it a lot, it's a lot clearer, I think, for recruiters to know to do that. A lot, okay. And if there's almost like too much vagueness, that's when they always get like hyper, like specific, right? It's almost like the opposite of what you would think it would be. But I've seen that be a huge downfall of teams because that internal communication isn't there. And I think it's really important to have recruiters feel like they can push back on their managers too. Right. And if you don't have that, it's really hard. And it's kind of where some resentment can really start building up in a team. Um, so it, it sounds like there's definitely some open dialogue kind of both ways, not just all on, it's not just all pinned on the recruiters, but it's like everyone's being held accountable. Absolutely. And that's something I love about Catapult is the partnership that you get to have with your recruiter or with your salesperson. Um, you know, it's kind of like you're solving a puzzle together. Like, yeah. okay, we have these 10 profiles, you know, these are our top three, but let's see what the client thinks. And then, you know, we're going back to the drawing board. Okay, we missed the mark somehow. Let's try it this way and see where this can take us. And I think that's so fun. And I think yeah. it makes it more rewarding when you get that win with another person. Absolutely. It's like, so you, you're on the same page internally. And how do you, I mean, how does that resonate with your clients? Because I'm sure they, whether they know it or not, almost like feed off that or can see it when it's really running smoothly with, I don't know if you call them triangles, but that's what we did, right? Our manager recruiting teams. But like when they see a team kind of have that cohesiveness and that communication, yeah, how does that resonate with your clients? I mean, we have clients that will, you know, obviously the AE or AM is the main point of contact. That's who they're interfacing with all the time. But we have clients who know our recruiters by name and they'll they want to request certain recruiters. They're like, hey, see if uh, Andy can find another guy just like that last one. Um, and I think that that's so cool and it's so powerful because to me, it feels like I'm not only supporting Catapult's growth, I'm supporting all of our clients' growth. I get to say that XYZ company got to complete this project because I had a hand in it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we like to do happy hours and stuff with our clients. We like to get them out and do FaceTime. And they love talking to, you know, the recruiters and just hearing um, their struggles and their successes or, hey, you know, I I've talked to this guy like five times and he really wants to work at your company, but, you know, he's lacking a little bit in this area. And those types of conversations, because of the bond that we have with our clients, get people jobs. <laughs> That is, I mean, that's it right there. Like, that's the nuance. Like, that's a perfect example of it, of, like, what makes a difference. Number one, just the happy hours, getting out, FaceTime with your clients. is huge. It kind of breaks down that barrier to allow that and to kind of those tweeners, right, that are, like, maybe, like, right there. Or you could get feedback, like, hey, well, if they get six months of this experience, we can consider them or three months. Or, you know what? Like, yeah, let me just talk to them and interview them and the amount of almost kind of informal interviews that you could set up that turn into starts at times is amazing when you have that trust, right? And you, that's where you like, I'm sure you've seen that with like the fast growing spread risers. I'm sure you were like, that happened to you too, is just like, that's when it starts to really come together. Cause you kind of have that plus all like the new stuff that you're building. So it really starts to compound. Right. And Absolutely. it's like, people ask like, well, what's the kind of the secret? I'm like, that's the secret. Like, the staying consistent with the process, getting the FaceTime, like digging, digging, learning, introducing the recruiters to the client. So there's buy-in, right? The recruiter has buy-in, the client has buy-in. It makes it like a stickier relationship. It's hard to go elsewhere. No one really wants to pick another agency. They just feel forced to because they don't have the relationship and they don't have the results with their current partnership. Uh, like that's how you like really get ingrained. Uh, so I, I, yeah. I love that. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the fun piece, the ATS. I know this is the bane of every agency's existence for the most part. Uh, I'm sure I know you have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, talk to us about the importance. I'd say 
documenting your work, whether it's through an ATS or not, right? I, I know this is a pretty big subject for you. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, uh, documentation is so important for a larger, mid, you know, mid-sized team like us. You know, if you're competing with three other people on a wreck, which doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes it does, and it's a hard specialized network engineer, and there's not that many of those, and it's on site, you need to be making sure you're putting every single one of your candidates in the system, marking that you called them, because otherwise that could go to somebody else. So that's a huge piece. Uh, Luckily, we're very blessed at Catapult. I feel like we don't have a ton of issues with that because we are a very tight-knit team, so a lot of people will just go and have the conversation. Um, But I have heard at larger companies where that can kind of be an issue. The biggest thing for me in our ATS, though, is it is a resource to make your job easier at the end of the day. I've gotten so many placements off people that I talked to six months, a year ago, but it's because I took really great notes, put them in the system. Everything is searchable and, you know, it makes you faster and keeps everything organized. Yeah, it's like how... It's interesting with new recruiters, and we've had a new recruiter on our team, to kind of explain that and to have them see the vision six to 12 months, that the better notes you take now, you can go back to that because you don't know what's going to come up. And I guess, how do you help recruiters that are newer see that vision? It's definitely a struggle. I typically like to just show them off of my success. I'm a very detailed organized person. So I can go in there and show them stuff from my very first CQ I ever did. It's what we call our screening. Uh, So, you know, I can go all the way back and show them and then show them how I placed that same person a year later, even though we had only, you know, lightly talked maybe once in that year. um, It's there. And also showing them, hey, go ahead and run this search. What are you finding? a bunch of people that have already been talked to. And even if it's, you know, not their candidate, it shows them that, like, this is the value kind of of this versus having to go to your LinkedIn, search through your messages, who was that person I talked to, or going back through your text messages, trying to find it, Um, just kind of streamlining that whole process. Yeah, well, I think just the systems and the streamlining, you're like, you're creating the forum for good habits and good behaviors and good results, right? I mean, I've seen teams as small as three or four really need more of an organized system because it's the same issues, right? You Am I talking to the same candidates? Is there multiple reach outs for the same company? Does that make you look bad? So avoiding that is huge. And that can be, yeah, you can count on one hand the size of a company. It could still happen if you're not careful about it. So, yeah, I mean, just yeah. the processes and just the time that you and your company takes to really get this right. You know, I, I commend you. I applaud you because this is, it's hard. And I think just taking that focus, taking that step back to be like, we have to prioritize this on the front end. And it's going to make our life way easier going forward as we build. And we're going to be able to actually scale this thing. Right with quality service without sacrificing in quality because we've took the steps on the front end to do it the right way. Like that is so important on for everyone, right? It just makes it more fun to do this work in a sense. If you have that, I think the clients again is really feed off of that. Well, and I love you know being able to roll out a new feature in our ATS, and the recruiters are just like, "Oh my gosh, this is what I've needed," you know, yeah. this is what I've wanted. Uh, for example, reference requests, getting people to send in their references, getting the recruiters to actually request the references. That was a huge struggle last year. Um, so we implemented a form, two clicks for the recruiter. It sends it out. It will kind of prompt the candidate if they haven't done it in so many days. And once they do it, it's attached to their profile. It says complete. Our AEs or AMs can just go in there and start calling, you know, their references. And that was just a huge game changer for the team. They were like, okay, we'll do it. You know, it's so easy. We don't have an excuse. <laughs> we'll yeah. do it. Yeah. And you get that buy-in, right? I was like, all right, if I can set this up, like you'll do it. Like you got to get that commitment ahead of time, right? That Just like when you're qualifying a job order or screening, get that commitment 
It's like, all right, we've all agreed that it's like it's easier to better, and like we're gonna do this and follow this process. And yeah. that's so important, right? To change any of the behavior, they you have to have the buy-in from the team, right? To make any of these changes, it seems like. Right. Yeah. You definitely have to have the buy-in, and again, it goes back to what we were very first talking about with that consistency, reminding them, like. Yeah. Hey guys, we have this new feature. Are we using it? And it's huge. I mean, references, I love talking about them because most people and recruiters hate doing them. I'm actually, I was actually kind of surprised with the amount of pushback I got initially when I started bringing up references a couple of years ago. I'm like, these are a great lead source or a great way to have a better product, have better fees, all, all this mm -hmm. stuff. But it's like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a pain to do and all that. I'm like, why? You could also filter out bad candidates potentially and stuff like that. Like, there are so many advantages to even just getting the reference contact information, right? And just asking for it. You don't even always have to run it, but just kind of that right. ability can be so revealing alone. And obviously, when you actually run it, now people are talking about personal references. Okay, that's fine. Maybe don't call someone's pastor or their landscaper, right? But you know, if you're actually calling an old boss or an old coworker. Right? Just like knowing those tells on the phone can be hugely revealing, right? And hopefully get Absolutely. you out in front of any problems too. Not to mention it could also be a lead if you're talking to a hiring manager. It's like, wow, you guys actually run references? Like I didn't know agencies or anyone did that, right? There's so many value points there. So I, I love that you brought up references because yeah, that's always like a hot button topic. Uh, oh yeah, and that is our company policy is to professional managerial, ideally. Obviously if somebody's, been at the same company for seven years, we get it. Um, but company policies to managerial references at the interview stage. And then whether we, you know, reach out to them right then or we wait is kind of up to the situation and the client, of course. Okay. How does that what do your clients think of that when they first start to like see and hear that or they start to see the references come through? Like are they typically surprised? Is that new for them? Like what what are some of the reactions you get there? I think we do a pretty good job of setting expectations with our clients at the very beginning of this is our policy. Um, it, it's really important to us to have a good product and to make sure that, you know, the people we're putting in front of our clients are legit. They are here for the right reasons, all of those things. And so I think our sales team does a great job of setting that expectation, making our client aware. So I would say, if anything, our clients just expect it from us because that's what we do. Yeah, I, I'm sure just on the sales on the front end, it's a huge selling point. I mean, that's yeah. one of the ones we had at Aerotech and no one was referencing doing reference on mechanics or electricians or anything. So we were able to do that and get ahead of the game. And that's where you know we raised prices in our triangle and had 80, 90% markups on mechanics because of that. It's such a great selling point because it gives them a different experience on what they're used to typically. Right. So it, it's just, it's huge. So what, um, let's talk about, we talked about tools, the ATS. You know, I know you and I have talked about automation times this year. How do you kind of approach the balance of using digital tools or maybe some automation, but also maintaining the personal touch? Good question. I think this kind of ties in with the art of the call. It's, how you make people feel when you are having that that conversation with them and setting yeah. expectations of you are going to probably you're going to get some automated emails or some automated text messages here's how it's going to benefit you here's the point and the value and letting them know letting them in on the the situation basically like yeah. everyone just wants to feel like they know what's going on they're included in in decisions and things like that um so i think of course, we love our automation and, and things like that. But eventually, you know, we're never going to screen somebody over the computer, like messaging screening. That right. is a big no-no. Yeah. Uh, and we do get on video calls pretty much with all of our candidates if we can. Obviously, sometimes you get people that are really busy or they don't have access to something like that. Uh, but we try to get on video calls with every single candidate to make sure that they know who I am. I know who they are. Mm -hmm. We're on the same page. Um, and to just, like I said, build that relationship. When people first start at Catapult, especially new recruiters, like 
never recruited before, a lot of times we'll have our sales or account managers get on those calls as well, which is wonderful for the candidate and the recruiter. It makes the candidate feel really special. They're like, wow, two people here taking the time out of their day to uh, sit here and talk to me about this job. And on the recruiting side, it allows them to hear the salespeople talk about their clients, talk about the job, and just get more comfortable with kind of those word tracks. Yeah, I I love that. And I mean, I think you talk about the new recruiter and giving that candidate make uh, kind of feeling that you guys are taking the time to do it right, right? If it is a new recruiter, it's okay to have the manager on there. I know sometimes people can kind of get worried about that. I'm like, it just shows like a, it shows a care. Right on the recruiting on the recruiter side, they get to hear how the manager talks to the candidate. I think that's part we haven't touched on that yet of just a recruiter being exposed to different styles, right? Different producers and recruiters and salespeople, right? Like, kind of what does that do? I know that's I know part of your training, but yeah, talk about the importance of kind of hearing and listening on different conversations. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when I first started, I sat between two of our most senior, best recruiters that are still here. And I would, you know, hear one of them, what he was saying on the phone, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that sounded good. And he got the answer, the response that he wanted. I'm going to tuck that away for later. Um, And on the flip side, I might hear, you know, the person on the other side of me say something really silly. And I was like, I'm never going to say that one. Um, And at the same time, you know, I'm sitting there on my calls, I'm talking and they're shooting me like tips on teams. They're messaging me, ask this question next, go back to this question. And I think that that's so important as a new recruiter, when you're learning so much, it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? Yeah. And to have, you know, hearing other people's, how they say things and then hearing it again and again, um, it's one of the great things about the pit. It just allows you to really take everything in day by day and eventually, you know, how we talked about kind of make it your own. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's where the pit is great, but even if you're remote, just, you know, making sure that your new recruiters are at least on like five to 10 screens that other recruiters in your team are doing, you know, different screens, reference checks, you know, interview preps, all that stuff is super important, right? So they can kind of get the initial framework of what works, what doesn't work. They can kind of see, if they're up to par too on their own screens and their own conversations, it's a great check. And I know a lot of times, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Like it's just recruiters get out and they're just doing their thing and they have nothing, no frame of reference on anything else. And that's a huge disservice to any recruiter because you learn so much by hearing different styles and different approaches and sometimes validating your own, or as you said, just improving your own too. Uh, yeah, it's huge. Right. And I think on the flip side of that, it's, the new recruiter getting to see how people deal with other people, you know, Uh, the way that Tony, the guy that would sit to my right would deal with maybe a unruly candidate or somebody that was being a jerk would be completely different than how Kylie would. Um, And then, you know, me now I have a completely different way that I handle dealing with people like that. And so getting to see how people respond and, you know, maybe what, what hat do I need to put on today to handle this situation? Yeah, absolutely. Cause there's different, yeah, there are, it's just different styles and different people and you got to lean into what is comfortable, but also effective for you. Uh, and, and that's huge. So, um, well, this, this has been great. As we kind of wind this down, I guess if you had kind of anything that you want to share with, you know, say agency owners or leadership team or, just in terms about the importance of training and having a, a really training program, but also just that consistent support in your team, kind of like what, what advice would you have there? My advice would be to find the person that cares about all the little tiny details. The person that's like obsessed with making sure everything is good and right. And, you know, is obsessed with learning and, make them that person, make them the go-to person, especially if that person thrives on helping others. I I know I personally do. I love it when my teammates come to me with a problem or a question and, you know, you can kind of see that like flip switch and the light comes on and they're like, oh, like if you have somebody like that on your team already, 
amazing, you know, empower them to be that person for your team. Absolutely. And if you don't um, look for somebody that is genuinely curious and I would say, you know, the rest kind of takes it from there. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. It probably has the patience to train too. Right. I mean, I think it's part of the little details when I was working with people is just having that patience because a lot of managing directors and owners and leadership, they don't, right. Once they figure it out, recruiting or sales, they don't, it's a really hard for them to teach it to newer people. Um, or you got to find that person that has that patience too. So I, all fantastic points. Uh, this has been super cool. I think really revealing for a lot of people that aren't sure what to do for training uh, with their recruiting team and some of the, the processes. I mean, it's really cool to see what, what you've done at Catapult and kind of just like your evolution. So I appreciate your time and just sharing with us and, and coming on here and just talking shop. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Yeah. I love all of it. Um, keep your posts coming and I'll keep liking and sharing. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And we can find you on LinkedIn. Um, we'll have your LinkedIn profile and probably the company website, all that on the episode page. So definitely connect with Pam if you haven't already. I know you're starting to post a little bit more and more content, which is cool. I love to see that. Um, and, and awesome. So again, yeah, thanks for being here. And um, that'll do it for, for this episode. We'll see you next time. And make sure to give this episode some love, five stars, all that good stuff. So we, uh, we appreciate you listening and tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.